Shrinks Wrap is brought to you by West Coast Mindfulness Institute, a networking group for mindfulness-oriented clinicians. Shrinks Wrap is a psychology podcast where we introduce you to leading clinicians and thinkers and their personal journeys through the field. While we hope you enjoy this dive into the psyche, please note that this podcast is not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. To learn more about us or to find a therapist, visit wcminstitute.net. So we're going to kick it off here for another episode of Shrinks Wrap. And welcome, everybody, to a new episode. And we're really fortunate today to have Charlie and Linda Bloom here. And uh, we go back a ways. We go back uh, between, we can estimate it about 18 years, actually. And uh, I've been a, a big um, supporter and fan and uh, of their work. Uh, we know each other in many different ways, but I've always had great admiration, respect for who they are as individuals, but also their work, their teaching, their workshops at Esalen, their books. And uh, they've been busy. Uh, they don't stop. They're pretty prolific here. So I'm going to give you some idea of uh, it's hard to catch up to all the things they're up to. And they, in a, you know, during COVID, they've written two books already. So we'll, we'll talk about that. But as we give you a quick uh, little bio here. So They've been uh, married since 1972. Uh, they've known each other prior to that. They met in Boston, I understand, and there's a story there, I'm sure. Uh, both trained as seminar leaders, therapists. They've been doing individual couples and group works in 1975. They've been uh, featured presenters in numerous conferences and universities. Uh, they've appeared on radio, TV. Um, they've written uh, a lot, just to name some of the things they've written. Um, Happily Ever After, 39 Other Myths About Love, Breaking Through the Relationship of Your Dreams, the best-selling book, 101 Things I Wish I Knew When I Got Married. Uh, that's I knew them when they were working on that book. That's how far back I go with them. Um, they also have uh, Simple Lessons to Make, uh, I, I will see, Simple Lessons uh, to Make Love Last. Um, there are over 100,000 copies sold of that book. Secrets of Great Marriage, Real Truth from Real Couples about Lasting Love, and the newly published, although not most recent, um, That Which Doesn't Kill Us, um, How One Couple Became Stronger at the Broken Places. They uh, hail from Santa Cruz, uh, prior to that, Sonoma, but they're uh, a bit omnipresent. You'll probably find them traveling, teaching everywhere. Uh, they have, a, I believe, in a, a workshop coming up at Esalen, still coming up soon. And um, so I could go on for 40 minutes just talking about all the things they've done. And oh, then please do. Could... <laughs> this is a great start. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you might think we're slackers, but they're really not, as you can tell. Uh, so there's a lot of themes we're going to get into today. But um, before we get into your most recent two books that you wrote during COVID, and Charlie, you know, I've been trying to work on one book during COVID. That I'm still editing, and while doing that, you've written two books. Yeah. So that's uh, that's extraordinary. Both of you, uh, how you do it, I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, so what I'd like to ask you to start off is: a lot of people know you. Some people listening will not know you by name. So, can you talk a little bit about what brought you to each other? What brought you to your work? What inspires you individually? What inspires you about each other? Let's start there. Well, Charlie and I uh, met when we were college students in, in Boston, and we'd both taken a year off after our second year of school, and we were out in the world, and we met just as we were coming back into the academic environment. I fell for him pretty fast, <laughs> and we both were interested in how people learn, how people grow, how people have the gains that they make stick with them. So it was something that we were interested in, passionate about, even from the very beginning. We both had already made up our minds before we even met that we were going to have careers in service. I knew that I wanted to be a psychiatric social worker. I still had my undergraduate degree to be able to um, complete that before going on to grad school. And Charlie was going to be an educator. Uh, 
So we had that bond in common right away. We had a lot of chemistry too. So it was a pretty exciting time when we first met way back in bell bottom pants. This was in 68. I'm still waiting for those to come back, by the way, because I have. Some. <laughs> and it was a, a hotbed in Boston yeah. with so many colleges that there was so much activism and marching and sitting in and demonstrations. And we had an interest and enthusiasm in that. So it was a bonding experience from the beginning. And, you know, back in the 60s, us flower children and hippies, we thought we were going to change the world. We were determined to do it. And so that theme has informed our work all these decades. I want to ask you a question. Did Charlie play guitar back then? Yes. (laughs) And uh, did that kindle the, you know, the romantic spirit a little bit? I mean, did he play guitar? Did he? uh, Did you like that about Charlie? (laughs) I did. And he was shy. And he at first wasn't too eager to play in front of other people. And I'm glad that I helped draw him out. And once he came out, he was really out. So is that one of the things that in terms of complimenting each other, do you feel like you've really been able to draw Charlie out uh, and help him express who he is internally to the world? Do you feel like you've done that? Oh, absolutely. And I feel like he's done that for me because although I'm an extrovert, I'm a recovering shy person. Mm -hmm. So he supported me in many meaningful ways. I had never thought that I would ever be a teacher because I had so much fear of public speaking. Mm. He was comfortable, you know, and so he said, it's not rocket science. You just stand up there and you just speak from your heart. And he encouraged me, and I'm so glad that he did, because I love being able to teach and facilitate workshops. So when you're doing your writing, the books, um, how would you describe your role? Who does what? What are your strengths in terms of writing? And how does, what's the process like when you're writing a book? Well, <clears throat> thanks for asking. I'm saying this for selfish reasons. I'm still trying to finish my book, so it's all about me right now. So okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that we all do things for selfish reasons. <laughs> Some of us are just better at concealing it than others. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Um, yeah, uh, Linda spoke a lot about <clears throat> how how many things we had in common yeah. in terms of our values and in terms of our interests. Um, I want to say a little bit about the other side of that coin. Sure. Which is the differences um, and how... Um, you know, they say opposites attract. The way we perceive, you know, tend to see it is that compliments attract. Um, you know, there's there's a term uh, that I'm sure a lot of your viewers are familiar with called complementarity. Mm-hmm. And, and it has to do with how, uh, how frequently it is that we get attracted to people, not so much who, because they're, they're different or opposite, but because something in our internal radar tells us that there's something for me to experience with this person that is of value to me that I don't really have access to within myself. Mm-hmm. There's something for me to develop that I can learn from them. This is not conscious, but there's something in us that knows this. It's like some radar. And, um, you know, so when people ask, what, what was it about this person that you were attracted to and the things that we come up with are all the obvious things. Well, you know, um, I liked the way she looked. Um, we had, we both drove the same kind of a car. I mean, all of those things that are so outwardly apparent, but really what draws us together uh, are things that we can't even consciously see a lot of the time. Yeah. Some, you know, that kind of unnameable, force that um, magnetizes us to somebody with whom we can become more whole. That's terrific. Mm -hmm. And it plays out in the way we write together. Yeah. Because he's very interested in the method that we use to write Mm -hmm. and how we can be as productive as we are Mm -hmm. because we have complementary strengths. 
I'm really organized. I'm a planner. I'm detail oriented. I work from an outline and I know where I put things. Charlie's <laughs> Mr. Spontaneity. I'm the opposite. He doesn't work with an outline and he writes this gorgeous material and then he's not sure where it is. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and I go, I go find the material and I structure it and wow. we brainstorm the ideas together and I take notes <clears throat> and I type them up. And I did a workshop many years ago with Natalie Goldberg. And one of the most profound things that she taught me is give yourself permission to write the worst shit in America. Mm -hmm. And so he's a little intimidated by the blank screen and the blank page, but I'm not because Natalie Goldberg blessed me. And she said, you could put it down. And if it's awful, you could probably fix it up. And so I write it just how it comes. And then Charlie, the silver ton poet, who was an English major and yeah. had good grammar and good spelling beautifies it. But that's I correct. usually do a lot of the first draft material. Well, that's really, that's really interesting. I think people find that very interesting when they're reading the book to understand what goes into the sausage making, you know, how is it made? What's your process? Because you're complimentary when you're writing, you're complimentary when you're speaking. I'm sure. There's other areas and you're very different and you found a way to blend your differences. Yeah. And Knowing you the way I know you, and I've known you in so many different ways uh, over the years, uh, what's always struck me as interesting is how authentic you both are. And you'll, you're not afraid to really uh, discuss your relationship uh, or challenges you two have had um, in a really genuine way. A lot of people hide behind their expertise or come across as lofty or you know, there's a, a differential between them and their audience, but you, you really have this amazing way of being relatable and sharing your own struggles in your life with people. And I know that that really, really hits home with a lot of folks who, who've listened to your workshops, who've read your material. Um, and I'm wondering if you have anything to say about that, um, what that's like for you both. You know, what's another example, Jim, of um, complementarity, I think, because, you know, like Linda said, she, uh, uh, when we first started teaching together, she was um, not comfortable speaking to, to large groups. And um, for me, I had had some experience doing that. So it was it wasn't an issue. And and we were able um, like I was able to help her to become more relaxed and, and more comfortable. And with the writing, um, you know, she, she um, I, I never did and I never will become as detail focused as she is. In her life, she's not only a planner, but she's very detailed oriented, very focused, very committed to completing things. And, um, you know, Ro Robert Bly, <clears throat> the great poet, once said that um, speaking about this tendency to to get more complete through another person, uh, you can either marry it, which I did, um, or <laughs> or you can develop it. You know, you got two choices. You know, one if if you want to become more whole, you know, somehow you've got to have that into your life, because if there's some places where you're not able to access certain energies in yourself, mm -hmm. certain, um, certain feelings, um, certain ways of being, then um, your your life is not going to feel whole. It's not going to feel complete. Mm -hmm. And we all know what that feels like. You know, it just feels like whatever I do, it's never enough. There's always right. more than I need to do. I'm not, I'm not, an, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough love. I don't have enough friends and whatever that's the context that we're viewing life from but, but the more whole we feel the more we can integrate those parts of ourselves that have been disowned or have been undeveloped and this is where the a partner comes in because she or he can bring um, that experience into us and if we're smart we will learn from them how we can do the same thing within ourselves because the problem is, is that if I never get past that stage of getting it through you, then I'm always dependent upon you. And if I'm dependent upon you, I don't have any real autonomy. And if I, and if I feel that way, if I'm missing that feeling of wholeness and, and I depend upon you, one thing that 
we have found over the years that's true is that when there's too much dependence in a relationship, there's always resentment because you always tend to resent the person upon whom you're dependent because they have a kind of power. That's true. And and that can be very scary for a lot of people. So I'm totally with Charlie with what he's saying. And I just wanted to add that when we first started to teach together, his tremendous support to me to find my power and my voice to speak up was uh, really a tremendous growth experience for me. When I started to speak up, I have a very personal style of teaching. Mm-hmm. And even in the very beginning, I would out him, uh, <laughs> hopefully about things that weren't so current in the moment, although sometimes it was, about things that we had been through. But we got such rich feedback from the students in the class. Exactly. Yeah. They trusted us because we shared some of where we had been in the trenches about the recurrent fights that we had and the breakdowns that we had. And it became early on in our teaching that authenticity and vulnerability were cornerstones for having a great relationship. You couldn't send your image to the relationship and have the depth of emotional intimacy that people crave to come to this place of wholeness in themselves. And so one of the teachings at the beginning of a class that we do is about reveal rather than conceal, about express rather than repress, about connect rather than protect. And so we lead with that, and it would be empty teachings if we didn't embody it and live it. And sometimes what we, what we say is the medium is the message how the students see Charlie and I relating to each other, the respectful way we deal with each other, the many ways that we enumerate that we've learned from each other's strengths to become more whole becomes the teaching itself. They feel it. Yeah, I think that's important to that is that they not only see that, but they also see the places where we are not aligned. Yes. They see the places where differences show up and I mean, and how we deal with that. And and when that first started to happen back in the early days um, and we really were very unskilled at dealing with that in front, particularly in front of class, <laughs> you know, so, you know, what do we, we can't, we can't just get into the kind of arguments that we would get into at home sometimes, but we had to figure out some way that we could honor the differences um, in a, in a productive, responsible way. And, and people ha- had told us after the classes, very often the feedback that we got was um, how, much, how much they learned just from watching the way in which we, the differences would come up and, and how we would work them out respectfully. Because right. very few people, certainly not me, not Linda, not most of the people that we, we didn't know, have models. Have had models where they so saw. You didn't, you didn't have these models that you. No. Become. Okay. We didn't learn okay. from our family. <laughs> what we learned from our families what not to do. What not to do. But yeah. we didn't learn like. But how do you do it though? So, so they're more concealers and revealers, maybe, or things like this. You know. Well, you know, yeah. concealing is one way to deal with yeah. it. That, yeah. you know, that means there's withdrawal, there's cold, right. there's disconnection, dishonesty, another, and another way to deal with it is. To get hostile, yeah. to get aggressive, right? To get punitive, um, but neither one of those. I mean, that's so. A lot of us saw, you know, one example or the other or both examples. You know, we maybe had a mother that was quiet and and accommodating, but you know, inside seething, and, and a father who was uh, aggressive and angry and punitive, or vice versa. I mean, women right. were either all. Um, yeah. yeah, but we never saw, okay, but how do you have the differences without denying them and pretending they're not there or without clobbering the other person? So how did, how did you, I, and I, I know what you're saying is true. And this is what I was alluding to earlier. I've seen you do this when you're teaching and it's my favorite, the quintessential moments you're teaching are when you're modeling uh, a struggle you've had and how you work through it. 
I know there's times where you even get up and show how you can have an argument, break through it and, you know, break through versus breakdown and things like this. And it's extraordinary watching you two do this. It's what makes your work really unique. And I know you've sampled, I also know you're highly curious individuals, uh, very curious people. And you're always trying to learn and you're curious about strengths and what helps couples. And I know you've interviewed a ton of couples and looked at their strengths and particularly relationships where it's working well, as much as relationships where it's not. Um, so I, I, I think a lot of that, I imagine, goes into your work. Uh, we're living in these really strange times. And some of the podcasts we've been talking about, you know, that what I call the plague, I joke, I call it the plague, Other, you know, because I'm Jewish and we have the 10 plagues, you know. And so, you know, I, I get into the, I call it the plague. That's what I really, COVID, right? The pandemic, whatever words you like. And during this time, it's been a real struggle for people to uh, survive or, or thrive. There's been a, a collective trauma, if you will, and some people are struggling with resiliency and growth. Um, the thing that I was working on writing, I share this with Charlie, is, is how to develop uh, self-leadership during trying times. That's what I've been working on. A little different, not that different, but different enough and different ways of uh, accessing and resourcing ourselves. Um, and so I've been really interested in it myself, And uh, but you're looking at it in your way, you're through your lens. And I know that you know, the Esalen Institute, for example, is about human potential and growth. You two are about human potential and growth. You're about how to optimize your relationship. So during this, there's a question here, believe it or not, but during this time of the plague, when you're working with couples or just you two trying to survive or thrive in the plague, how do you look at uh, growth? How do you grow during this time when some people are just trying to survive? How do you thrive? How do you grow when some people are just trying to survive? What, what's your approach to that? And how did, I know one of your books might get into some of this. And I want to see if you could talk about that. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's always looking for what I can learn from this experience. As harsh and demanding and challenging as it may be. And people during the plague have really gone through a lot of hardship. People got left out of their job. People got sent home to work virtually and they didn't have the support of their teams to work with, which made it very difficult for some people. There was also a lot of fear about money. Are we going to, you know, go into debt? Are we going to lose our apartment because we can't pay for it? We can't pay our mortgage. And people were really stressed, fearing that they might get sick or somebody that they loved might get sick and God forbid die. Then there was this whole other layer about who is in authority is telling us the truth. Are the politicians being straight with us? Are the medical people giving us valuable information? Are they well-informed in, in the research? And so people had a perfect storm of all kinds of stresses. And even in the midst of all of that going on, and a lot of people just hanging on by their fingernails, just trying to get through each day, each week. Even in those very difficult circumstances, to look at what is it that I can be learning here? What is it that I am becoming out of this? Am I becoming grittier? Am I becoming more resilient? Am I becoming more creative? Am I becoming more vulnerable and reaching out to people for support? There's always opportunity embedded in a crisis if people are oriented to think that way. Unfortunately, a lot of people just bear it when they have to go through something difficult and don't live in that question. We had a lot of people talk to us during that time saying, I never appreciated the people in my life as much as I do now. I have to Zoom with them. I have to FaceTime with them. I have to talk to them on the phone. We have to meet in the yard. Do you know? But I'm really appreciating the people in my life in a whole new way that I never did before. And I thought that's so beautiful. After the pandemic passes, maybe soon, <laughs> that they will hold on to that gratitude for the people who are precious in their life. 
that's 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 lovely. How about you, Charlie? Any thoughts or? Uh... Yeah, I mean, this is has been the um, most prevalent concern that people have come to us with, which is um, just the feeling of being overwhelmed by so many uh, crises that are occurring in the world simultaneously. It's, it's not just that, that we're having this big, uh, you know, event called uh, COVID or the plague or whatever you want to call it, but there are social um, breakdowns that are occurring uh, financially, um, racially, environmentally, um, on multiple levels. Linda used the term a perfect storm where all of the negative elements coincide simultaneously. That's what we're living in. None of us, none of us have any experience dealing with anything of this magnitude. Yeah. So, of course, you're overwhelmed. Of course, you're overwhelmed. So the first step for us is to uh, acknowledge and normalize mm-hmm. the feelings that people are having. Right. And we're not telling them that they're overwhelmed. They're telling us. And and we we're going. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, it it, it is overwhelming, isn't it? And you know, there's there's a, a classic book. You know, you've heard of it a long time ago called uh, "Love Is Letting Go of Fear," written by a yeah. rabbi, actually. And uh, and you think about the uh, relationship between fear, anxiety, and love. You know, love usually thrives when people are experiencing emotional safety or financial safety or some level of predictability some level of control mastery over their lives. And it's really challenging when, uh, when you're dealing with a lot of fear and uncertainty and insecurity on uh, so many different levels to, uh, for the love to surface, to be expressed or received. I imagine that, you know, you're talking about overwhelm, you know, so there's a lot of that. It's hard, isn't it? For couples to f- discover the soft, loving places in themselves when they're dealing with, uh, Big fears, small fears, and you know, large fears. You know, and um, all these threats. The perfect storm. It's really hard to to connect to that that safety, emotional safety, love, attachment, uh, all that. It's hard, right? It is hard, but it is doable. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of all the stress, and we we heard from several families that having the children home and mm-hmm. having to they didn't go into early childhood education because they weren't geared that way and having the kids home a lot was very stressful for them. In addition to all the other things they were dealing with, but to reach for it, to reach for how blessed we are each day that we wake up and we don't have COVID or even if you got it, that you didn't have a serious enough case that you had to be on a ventilator or go to the hospital. Right. That, that you reach for it and you say, I do have supports. I miss not being able to be with them physically. I do have bonds. I can speak with them. I can FaceTime with them. That we, we emphasize what we do have, not to be in denial about the seriousness of the problem, but to reach for, even though I'm feeling a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear and I wish I wasn't going through this. At least I'm with you. There are a lot of people who are isolated in an apartment or a home right. all by themselves having to right. go through this. And right. so reaching for that which we do have. Mm-hmm. I woke up healthy today. I'm grateful. And yeah. I've got stresses I have to deal with, but I'm up to it. Maybe I have to reduce the amount that I take on. Okay. So I won't be knocking them dead, you know, all the things on my to-do list. I'll have to be a little bit more generous with myself and give myself a longer span of time to accomplish those tasks. Mm -hmm. West Coast Mindfulness Institute is a networking group for mindfulness-oriented clinicians who are dedicated to learning together and collaborating to better serve our community. WCMI hosts educational events for both clinicians and members of the public to promote learning, growth, and self-awareness. If you're seeking support, 
follow the link in this episode where our referral specialists will connect you to the right therapist to meet your needs. Visit us at wcminstitute.net. For me personally, I actually had some great experiences during the plague, and I actually had uh, some wonderful times, uh, great times, actually, uh, connecting with my kids, connecting with uh, Lisa, my wife, uh, connecting with uh, myself, uh, slowing down, going going at a rhythm that was much more palatable than the rhythm that normally you know life goes at. Uh, a lot of creativity happened for me, uh, things that I did in my life professionally and personally. Um, remodeled a house, you know, did other things, you know, during the plague. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of things that were really uh, terrific and constructive and reframed it that there was this uh, wonderful opportunity for um, creativity, potential growth, gratitude, connection, uh, community. But I also, and some clients reported that too. And there's other people, as you mentioned, that I feel for who um, aren't in a bunker with anybody, who are isolated, who are cut off, who don't have a partner, who are cut off from their kids, their parents, uh, their friends. Um, and those folks are certainly suffering as well um, during that time. Uh, it's a little bit easier when you're in a relationship. I know people who are single looking for relationships, and this is really hard. I can't, um, I, it's so hard not to be with somebody right now. I don't have a partner. It'd be so much easier to handle this if I had a partner right now. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about this. Mm -hmm. Well, the thought that came to my mind as you were saying that, Jim, is yes, that is a real hardship um, for for people who have to um, who are living alone. It's one of the reasons why <clears throat> there's been such a huge surge in pet ownership over <laughs> the last 18 months. I mean, like the the, the Pet stores are getting cleaned out and the it's rest true. places are, you know, people are, because the, the, we need companionship. You know, we are social beings. We, we, we cannot be holistically healthy if we're living in, in a vacuum by ourselves. However, having said that, there's another group of people uh, who we saw quite a few of during this time yeah. who were living with somebody but it wasn't the way they wanted it to be. It wasn't the person that they wished that they were. So, so there's... Um, and they didn't have their escape routes that they no. had. <laughs> no, they were stuck. Yeah. And I can't <laughs> tell you how many people use that. Okay. Hey, there's, this, there's this great play I saw in New York once. It's called, I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change. <laughs> and it was like the yeah. perfect arc of a relationship sometimes yeah. you know, i love that you're perfect now change and when you're in the not not now change part and you're stuck in the now change part and nothing's changing that can be hard some well, people might feel it, very it, captive you know yes yeah you feel yeah. like you're, you're a captive like you're a prisoner you're a hostage yes and you know that saying that sometimes you have to hit bottom before you can begin to come up again right well for a lot of these people that was the bottom that they needed to hit in order to find the motivation to get help. Okay. And we saw a lot of those people, you know, people who um, had been, you know, one of them had been talking about, you know, we should get into counseling. We need, a, we need therapy. We need some relationship counseling. And the other one was like, nope, nope, we don't need that, you know. And they were in total resistance. And this is what it took for that person or that couple to finally realize we don't have any other options now. We can't leave. We can't afford to financially. Uh, we, 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 you know, there's just too many things that are preventing us from using, like Linda said, our normal escape routes to get away from each other. We're stuck. We've got to somehow figure out some way to deal with what we've got here because it's not changing and we don't have any other escape. So it was COVID that forced them yeah. to deal with the pile of incompletions that they hadn't been mm -hmm. addressing, sometimes for years. There's a story that's going to be in the new book that's coming out in 2022, um, Love in the Time of Crises, about a single woman who was on all the dating sites and she was very attractive. So she got a lot of men interested and she tended to jump in bed quickly with these men. 
that she didn't even really know and sometimes regretted afterward. But she was so afraid about contracting COVID that it forced her (laughs) to have a different way of being with the men that she was dating. And it was a life-changing event for her because instead of working on her lie-down relationship, she worked on her stand-up relationship and she did a lot of um, Zoom calls with these two people really getting to know each other. And she deepened the relationship during COVID time and really found that they were compatible before she she went to add the sexual component to the relationship, which was, you know, a game changer for her and to her benefit. Well, that's a that's a terrific story. Uh, you know, imagine that, um, you know, that old movie Sleeping with Mr. Goodbar, right? You know, back in the day, uh, this is more about shifting the approach up and really taking the time to get to know somebody uh, where you wouldn't uh, to be much more uh, judicious and they have a more uh, slow down a little bit and, and, and relate more of what I call vertically versus horizontally, if you will, you know, mm-hmm. but on another level, uh, top down versus just side by side. And that's really cool that she was able to experience a more whole connection with somebody um, well, as a result of that. Do you know yeah. the old-fashioned courtship where they used to write these beautiful love letters? Yes, so that's a lost art. I mean, writing letters was amazing. You know, writing letters—it's fantastic. Did you write letters to each other? Did you guys do that? I, I you... believe in yeah. courtship and yeah. I believe in getting to know each other. We yeah. did not do that, but I believe okay. in it, though. Okay, all right. We we all we, right. we do exchange written communications of gratitude and appreciation on a frequent basis, which is something I wanted to talk about today too. Yeah, sure. And we also not only put it in writing, um, but we also at least once a day make eye contact with each other and speak from our heart of how we're appreciating this person in this moment. And even though there's 365 days in a year and we're always speaking from the same place, there's always something a little bit different each day. You know, Charlie, I've known you a long time and it it seems like, you know, you over time have mastered the two foot drop from the head to the heart. Like you've done that more. Uh, For me, it was a lot more than two feet. (laughs) Quite a while to close that gap. Quite a while. I'm, I'm still working it too, but I've made yeah. some progress. Do, yeah. do, he's do, a champ do right, now. He's what? He's a champ. No, oh, is he? Oh, great. That's great. Yeah, it seems like he is. Uh, do you do you still write? Do you ever write poetry for Linda? Do you ever write her prose? You're, you're a poet. Do you ever do that? Do you ever written a poem at all, or you know, do you've written to her recently, or what? I guess you could call it poetry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, okay. this is this is we're we're speaking. Um, on October 1st. Yeah. And um, we just came from the month of September. Yeah. I think that's the month before October. Yeah. Um, so, so the most calendars, you know, yeah. So, yeah, most, yeah. Most right. Right. <laughs> I don't know if you're using the Mayan calendar or the, or the uh, or for, you know, calendar is 5072 or whatever we do. Oh, well, well, I mean, but, but it's important for, yeah. for my point yeah. here. I yeah. want to make that September yeah. is an important month because yeah. for us, um, there, there are several special occasions in it. Yeah. One, September 1, that's the day we got married in 1972. Mm-hmm. So um, that's something to celebrate. And then there's two weeks later is September 16th, which is Linda's birthday. Oh, that's, yeah. So there's another reason to celebrate. And then there's September 26th. 26th, which is <clears throat> the day that we met. Uh, so, you know, we're not going to just go for a birthday or an anniversary <laughs> day. We, we celebrate we, all month. Yeah, s- September is the month of celebration. You celebrate all month. That's you, you know, you know the same folks I know that you know the Dyke Balls, right? Sure, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to be doing a podcast with Ken soon. He's going to be one of the next up on my list. Uh, but uh, he writes about this in one of his books, um, Radical Curiosity. I'm going to be talking to him about that book. 
And do you have a copy right there? Do you have a? Uh, no. Oh, no. I think you're gonna grab a copy of the book. You're grabbing a water. I thought you were gonna like show me the book. <laughs> no. I said, oh, we have okay. a bunch uh, of his books. Though. Yeah, we have yeah. many. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, so he talks about with his wife how on their anniversary they used to go to all these different countries or places around the world and and re uh, redo their wedding. You know, redo their wedding vows and and go around and actually do a ceremony. Uh, over and over and over again, all those years, you know, different types of rituals, you know, yeah. it could be a Hindu ritual, it could be, you know, whatever ritual, you know, and I, I thought that was so lovely. Um, and so I'm hearing you talk about, you know, the month of September, it's this uh, glorious celebration of uh, meeting your anniversary, Linda's birthday, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really pretty cool. I want to get into conflict now. Do you mind if I uh, stir up some conflict with you? <laughs> Go all for right. it. All right, because I know uh, your, your original book, 101 Things, uh, I Wish You Know When I Got Married, uh, That was a, I love that book. I've given that book to so many clients. Uh, I think I personally raised your numbers. Uh, just, <laughs> I can't. Hundreds, I wish I got a piece of the action. So, oh, yeah, yeah you check for coming in the mail next week. <laughs> Should I get residual checks for that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I should have done it on Amazon. We get a little couple of bucks back. But um and I know you have a follow-up to that uh, about conflict. And uh, and I imagine uh, you're discussing where we left off before, how some couples, are they feel stuck together. They may feel trapped. There are probably some people who are experiencing a higher level of conflict right now uh, because of uh, all the stress that's going on in the world or internally. And um, so I have a couple questions for you. Um, you know, well, around conflict you know what what made you decide to address that topic now let me ask you that first of all and then what what are the uh some of the uh the a few of the gems you could share with us from that book could you tell us about that thanks for asking um charlie's already mentioned that robert bly yes has been a uh, impactful on our work and one of the things that i heard robert bly say when i was attending a workshop with him is let your wound be your gift to your community. And it touched me very deeply. And I feel that I chose to do this work because we had been to some dark places, Charlie and I, to the point where we almost broke our family up, mm-hmm. but we were good students. We found good help we implemented what we learned from them, and we grew more adept at how to have a great relationship. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that almost did us in during that dark time was we fought bitterly. We did not fight fairly. I used to accuse and blame and manipulate and threaten and make ultimatums and scream and holler. And that, was, and that was on a good day. And it took us straight to hell realms. Uh But we got help. We got wonderful help from Stephen Levine and his wife, Andrea. We got wonderful help from Ryan Woodman. He was an incredible person. I mean, uh, I love love him and his work, particularly his work on hospice work, death and dying and all the things. He was an extraordinary, you know. Uh, person writer yeah is he he's not alive now is he is he no he passed yeah he yeah. passed but his teachings are elegant and practical and when we were in a very broken down state Stephen and I had done a lot of workshops with him before and I knew Charlie really respected him mm-hmm. he was doing a weekend workshop for couples only in Brighton Bush Oregon okay So Charlie agreed to go and we were in terrible, (laughs) terrible shape, fighting badly. And we went up to Oregon and I thought that he was going to nail Charlie to the wall. You had (laughs) children and now you're flying all over the country in Canada and you're not home to help Linda rear them. I was sure that he was going to nail Charlie and I needed help because my efforts weren't getting anywhere. And I'm the one who got nailed to the wall. That it sounds like you're pretty attached to what this marriage and your family needs to look like. Maybe you could mm. non attachment and maybe you could do some forgiveness wow. meditation that he's not your, you know, romantic partner of your dreams. That's deep. How did you, how did you uh, imbibe that? How did you digest that? Uh, For a year. 
Okay. Here after that workshop, my main spiritual practice was forgiveness meditation. That's amazing. That's incredible. You know, you know, one of the other people on our podcast is Fred Luskin, who we, you know, you know him. Uh, yeah. He's been forgive wrestling. He's taught. Yeah. yeah. He, he did a couple really the forgive for love, forgive for good. And he, you know, I think, I don't know if you attended the one we did on uh, forgive our country about the political divide, you know, the red and the blue folks and how they're at war with each other. He talked about uh, what he can learn from forgiveness in terms of dealing with our political opposites, uh, mm. the different color stripes, you know, the gang wars that we have politically. Um, yeah. But so that you tapped into that forgiveness piece with Charlie and you practice this Buddhist idea of non-attachment, of not being attached to this notion of what he had to be uh, that's, or should exactly be. Right. And yeah. what we call that when we teach is doing your own work. Yeah getting your attention off of the per- other person, what they're doing or not doing or saying or not saying. And I was convinced that he was the one that was wrecking the relationship because yeah. he wasn't honoring his agreement to rear the children with me and the kids were small and that we had made an agreement that we're going to mutually support each other's <clears throat> careers. And I was supporting his career, but I wasn't getting a support for my own. So, so how did, how did you, how did you get walk. Charlie to wake up? How did he wake up and smell the cappuccino? How did he go? When you're letting go and you are not attached and you're forgiving and you're backing away and you're not, how did Charlie step he into the light? It out. He yeah. played it out and he finally resigned from the corporate world. And yeah. that's when we started to make our own business where we could, we could build our own dream. So he, he can tell you about his. Yeah. Amazing- so, so Charlie, what, what helped you um, realize this when Linda was working at forgiveness and non-attachment and backing away. Um, how did you realize that's something you wanted to do? Um, when she shifted the focus of her attention away from me and stopped making me the bad guy, making me the problem, making me the one that needed to change, when she stopped doing what I felt like was uh, a continual assault on my character, mm-hmm. much of which was valid, mm-hmm. no doubt. But problem, not helpful. The problem was it wasn't helpful. <laughs> yeah. Because what it did, and this is what couples, you know, need to understand in order to really shift the balance in their relationship, that the more she did that, the more resistant and closed I became, the more defensive I became, because I felt like I was under attack. When you feel threatened and under attack, you get defensive. You don't have any choice. (laughs) I mean, that's that's built into us. We are hardwired to get defensive. Uh, You know, in our first book, um, one of the 101 things that Mm -hmm. title was, if your partner is getting defensive, you may have something to do with it. That's a really important point. A lot of people don't realize that. No, they don't connect the dots. Yeah. There's a very, I remember that someone was very golden. So it had this little graph, I, you know, that stayed in my head. And she talked about defensiveness and she would call it the touchy zone. And then she would call it, you know, she had all these different zones where you get defensive. And it's like a bell curve and how many standard deviations left or right each couple is. And if you meet in the middle, you find your way. But this idea that there's an interface and there's a chain reaction that two people are responsible for somebody's defensiveness it's not just one that's right and often when somebody says you're being defensive that just makes you more defensive exactly. that's right exactly. Judgment. exactly and i didn't know how i was working against my own best interests i was sure i was right i was sure i was being victimized and the more i would bring that to his attention albeit not too skillfully the sure. more positioned he would get and the more polarized we would get when I started to do my own work and keep my attention on myself, he still worked in the corporate world where he was away from the family three weeks out of every month. But we didn't fight as much the last year before he finally resigned. Mm-hmm. You, do you think there's also a piece, too, that it made okay. it also more comfortable for Charlie to want to be home because it felt he felt less defended, so he felt more... Uh, at peace when he would come home, there was a shift in energy in the house. Maybe, right. uh, yeah, that's really yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely true. 
I, I did not have a positive association with home mm-hmm. you know, as things deteriorated. It's not, it, no, it's like, I don't really want to go home. I mean, I want to see the kids. Yeah. You know, I'm not looking forward to what I know we're going to go through. So when Linda redirected the focus of her attention away from me and onto herself, not in a negative way, not saying, you know, like, oh, now I'm at fault now, not Charlie. Uh, but when she when she did that, I, and I began to trust that, oh, this is not just a temporary thing, but she's really taking some responsibility for things here. And I, I felt like I had less of a need to be resistant and reactive because I'm one of those people who the best way to get me to do something is to tell me not to do it. <laughs> and, um, I, I've kind of gotten over that, uh-huh. but, but there's still some of that in me. And so when I, when Linda didn't have anybody to, that would react to her pushing, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like somebody's trying to bang through a door mm-hmm. and then, the person on the other side opens the door and there's nothing to bang against and they go flying into the room and they land on their face. Well, that's what my experience was. It's like, oh, I don't really have to defend myself against anything because there's, there's nothing coming in now. And, and it's not like we were all lovey-dovey all the time. Right, right. But the attacks had stopped. And yeah. it felt safe for me. For first time, neither one of us had felt safe. Yeah. But for the first time in a long time, I felt like I could relax and breathe. And hey, how about listening? Because there's such a complex dynamic there. I know some people who, I don't want to interrupt, but some people, I have a couple right now, reminds me of that I'm working with, uh, nameless naturally. Uh, but but the one, there are two, that's a lesbian couple, they're extraordinary individuals, and uh, they have children, and they're both very successful. They don't need to work, but and one would not stop working, you know, and she had plenty of money and resources. And the other partner who was at home and she worked in tech and was worked maybe 10 hours a week or 20 and had, was raising the kids, wanted her partner home. And there's no financial need, you know, for her to go away anymore. And, and then when it got right down to it, she just didn't feel safe or comfortable coming home. It wasn't inviting. It wasn't warm. Yes. And she was afraid yes. she was going to be attacked or it was going to be all these controls going on. Right. And she couldn't just relax and have autonomy. And so once we created this, understanding that home make home inviting make it so that somebody doesn't lose their autonomy right but they can uh they can feel free being at home as much as being away uh, and be themselves at home as much as being away uh, it changed and she then retired and it's it's going better so it's good yeah. great yeah. that's a great what story what happened after charlie resigned from the corporate world and came back into the family Mm-hmm. and was able to be undefended and vulnerable with me. He said, I used to go to work and work so much before I, because I felt competent, yeah. capable there. When yes. I was with the family, I felt like I was failing as a dad uh, and as yeah. a husband, and I didn't want to be confronted with how I was failing. All of it must have just touched you because that vulnerability to admit that. Is so powerful. I mean, it takes so much courage, I think, for a guy. And I know Charlie's done a lot of work in men's groups and so on and so forth. But it takes so much courage for men to get to that place that Charlie got to, to say, hey, I'm, I'm not sure I feel as confident being a father, being a husband, but at work, I do feel confident. And so that's huge to acknowledge that. That's enormous. And then his vulnerability invited my vulnerability. Yeah. And then I was able to go deeper and say, all those times when I was a bitch on wheels, it was because I was hurting, I was suffering, I was missing you, I was lonely, I was overwhelmed with being a single mom and bringing up the kids myself. I was pining and grieving for my lost career that I gave up for a while. And it was my pain. And my fear that we weren't going to make it as an intact family. They came out in all that bitchiness. And once we were able to connect in a vulnerable way and dive down underneath the anger, underneath the attack, defend, that's when we were able to really connect to each other. And our relationship started to flourish again more than it had before. 
So I feel like that's the gift that I want to give to our community. So that's like the writing the all the ways you can trash your relationship. So that's the stronger the broken places idea too. Yeah. You know that you yeah. became stronger where there's a brokenness there, but you yeah. broke through and you became stronger together as a result of that. Both of you came stronger. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and, and neither one of us could have done what we did. We could not have gotten to that level of vulnerability had we not had the example of the other person. We both gave that gift to each other by being vulnerable, which is a way of saying, it's safe here. Look at me. I'm willing to expose my heart because I trust you. You can trust me. We, we were both giving each other that message. And, and that's why there's never, whenever there's a breakdown in a relationship, there's always two parties who are in some way contributing to it. <clears throat> they may not be contributing equally. It's not necessarily 50-50. It could be 75-25 or 90-10 or whatever. But um, it's important to remember that because if we don't, all we see is how the other person is taking things down. And that's true. They, they are acting in ways that are uh, diminishing the quality of the relationship. There's no argument there. However, there's no percentage in trying to get them to get that and do something about it. It's only going to make them more defensive and more disconnected. We can only really make a difference by continually turning around and looking at ourselves, not with blame, not with punishment, not with fault finding, but look at ourselves in terms of, hmm, so uh, what's my part in this thing anyway? Mm. You know, that's how really have I contributed to this? What can I learn from this? What can I do differently that might make that other person feel safer, that might make them feel less angry or scared? You know, that you're, it's so beautiful what you're saying. And I, I, uh, I'm sitting here listening to you and, you know, I could listen to you for hours and hours and I get 15 podcasts with you and forget all the other guests, but we only, only, only have, but I'm excited about some of the other guests. You guys are amazing. You know, I, I really have so much admiration for both of you as, as individuals, as a couple, as writers, as presenters, as citizens of the universe, uh, participants in Takun alum in your own way, all that. So I really, I mean that. And a couple of things before we close out here. One is um, how do people find you? How do the people discover you? Can you say how that is? If they can remember Linda Bloom or Charlie Bloom or Bloomwork, it'll take them to our website. And once you get to the website, it it says creating exemplary relationships. It's not just romantic partnerships, although that's what we specialize in. Really, we're all in relationship all the time, even if we don't have a romantic partner. So it's parent-child relationships, friends, extended family, on the job. And when they go to our website, there is a free store. And if they click free store, there are three free eBooks, one on sexuality, one on uh, how to have a fair fight and end arguing. And then there's another one about the 10 most important things we've learned since we got married. There's also several hundred blogs on psychology today. And it's a click away. Also, there's, a, oh, almost 200 videos on our YouTube channel. And we have bibliographies for people who want to read about relationship, about the positive psychology movement and happiness. There's an aging bib. There's a women's bib. There's a mental health bib. So there's a whole lot of good things for free on our site. That's great. Thank you, Linda. And I'm going to close out with a question I'm going to ask each of you. If you had five words to describe your partner, what would they be? Well, uh, I adore you. You That's light, three. You light up my <laughs> life. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm going to use adjectives. <clears throat> Beautiful. Um, oh, God, there's so many. I've got I've to narrow it down to five. Yeah. All right. Um, Beautiful, brilliant, 
um, loving, authentic, and mine. <laughs> Yay. That's wonderful. Yay. All right. I'm going to go out on that note. Thank you so much for your time. It's always great connecting with you. Appreciate you sharing yourselves with our audience and uh, they know, they know where to find you and where to get your great books and uh, keep doing your, your work in the world. Uh, the world needs it. Take care. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having yeah. us. Thank you for listening to another episode of Strength Trap. We hope that you enjoyed this episode with Linda and Charlie Bloom and Dr. James Bramson. If you would like to connect with Linda and Charlie, learn more about their work or purchase their books, you could follow the link next to their bio. You could also follow a link for a free gift and resources from Linda and Charlie. If you would like to connect with myself, Rafael Cortina, or Dr. James Bramson, you could follow the link in the description of this podcast. As always, please rate and review. Your opinions are really important to us. Thank you for listening, and see you next time.